was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Don't mind this uh, reservoir I brought up here. Brother gets thirsty. Good morning. Good morning. Mm. So let's get started. We're just going to get straight to it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. One day. That's one way to start off the Bible, ain't it? <laughs> These words might be familiar to you. Maybe you've grown up in the Christian tradition, or maybe you haven't, and this is your first time hearing it. Wherever you may find yourself, my encouragement to you this, this morning is to hold on to these words dearly because they're foundational for the advent, for the arrival of Messiah Jesus. Is that cool? All right, straight. Here we go. When God began to create the skies and the land, he did so through his spirit and his word. Also, uh, disclaimer real quick. I'm going to get loud, so just know I'm not yelling at you. It's just going to be passion that stirs up. So I'm going to start off chill. <laughs> So he began to create through his spirit and his word. And this is reiterated by the author of Psalm 33, who wrote, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their lights. So throughout the biblical story, darkness and the deep chaotic waters were symbols of chaos and, and all types of stuff throughout the scriptures. And then God says, I'm going to do something about that. The land was uninhabitable. So in order for God to build a good world, the spirit of God hovered over the chaotic waters and, this, and, then, and then God spoke his word, which brought order to chaos. Let there be light. And everything changed. Who is this God? This is the God who pierces the darkness of the world with his light. Are you with me? If you are longing for that, there's some good news. So just hang on tight. And then furthermore, if you continue to read, God brings more order to the chaotic darkness by separating it from the light. And he named them respectively. But notice, darkness is not done away with. He just contains it for the nighttime. And there was morning. And there was evening. Or there was evening. And then there was morning. One day. And as you keep reading on, God continues to build a good world, bringing more order to chaos. He separates the waters below and above. And then he causes the dry ground to, to rise above the chaotic waters, which are also not done away with, but put into a specific region. They're contained. And then he fills the skies and the land with hosts in each, with the sun, moon, stars, birds, fish, and then his imagers. And then he rests. This is a literary masterpiece. 
And we have been invited to rest with and in the God whose light pierces the darkness and who creates worlds anew. However, the story continues and things go sideways and things take a deep spiral throughout the rest of the biblical story. Yet this God is not a distant creator, but one who continuously seeks to dwell among his creatures. It started in the garden, and then it was the tabernacle, and then it was the temple. But God was determined to take it to a whole nother level. I just created a word. This intention of God was foundational for the biblical authors whose writings would shape out to be one unified story that leads to the arrival of this God, also known as the Messiah. Many of these authors wrote in anticipation of this arrival in the midst of dark realities that they experienced, from the death of Moses to the wild days of the judges to the breakdown of the Israelite monarchy to being exiled to foreign lands to returning to an empty place that they once called home where everything was destroyed to only find themselves overrun by world empires again and again. But in the midst of all of that, it happened. God shows up. The Messiah was born. Then we come across an author like the Apostle John who finds himself in the aftermath of this arrival and who writes a biography about this Messiah who changed not only his life but the lives of thousands of people in his day. And you and I find ourselves in the same aftermath. Whether you follow Jesus or you don't, everything has changed. So we either participate in the story or we observe from the wayside. Now mind you, John wrote with two realities in mind. On one hand, he lived in a post-Hellenized world where the Greek language, thought, and character has been spread all over the Mediterranean and beyond. But on the other hand, he's a fully Jewish man who grew up being steeped in the writings of Genesis 1. So it informed, it was foundational for his worldview of reality, of the world, of Jesus. And as a result, in the introduction of his biography, he wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. This man is trying to make a point. In him was life. And the life was the light of mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. Maybe these words are familiar to you as well, or maybe it's your first time. Either way, John is honoring Jesus as the same God who overcomes darkness by his light. And in doing so, he uploads the prologue of Genesis as his foundation to articulate all of that. Are you still with me? Oh, we going somewhere today. Mm. This is also a literary masterpiece. Check out some of the ways that John parallels the arrival of Jesus to the creation story. So in Genesis 1, the first five verses are the prologue to, to God's story among humans. And it starts off by saying, in the beginning, God. And then it goes on to talk about how God creates through his word, his speech acts, let there be, and then there was. God is the author of life in this chapter. And on day one, light breaks through the darkness. 
Darkness was symbolic of chaos, and the chaos was contained in the separation of day and night. And then John, who is steeped in all of that, decides to write a prologue to the story of the word among humans. And he starts off by saying, in the beginning was the word. It is through the word that all things were created. The word is the essence of life. The light of humanity is Jesus, and he shines in the darkness. Darkness, which symbolized chaos in the kingdom of darkness, cannot overcome the light of humanity. Darkness is driven out in him. So John mapped out how the arrival of Jesus was the beginning of a new creation. The Spirit of God hovered over the womb of Mary, and the Word was placed in her womb for the world to be made anew. This changed everything. Not only for the folks who lived thousands of years ago, for us today as well. In order to brag on Jesus, John masterfully uses one word that would register with two different cultures simultaneously. He calls Jesus the word. For the Greeks, the word was known as the logos. I'm sure you've heard some of this before. Which was the transcendent divine reasoning. It was the force that unifies and brings order to the cosmos. And John goes, yeah, that's Jesus. He's the one who unifies and brings order to the cosmos. He is the reasoning behind it all. Again, I'm not yelling at you. I just really believe this stuff. That which was transcended became known to us as a human name, Yeshua from Nazareth. John isn't the only one who thinks this way. Paul wrote something similar when he wrote in Colossians, the sun is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. It is in Jesus that all things came to being and he is the one who holds it all together. And if you're feeling like your world is falling apart, I hope that is an encouragement to you because I sure need it today. He is preeminent above all things in the natural and supernatural worlds. He is the ultimate sustainer of all things. So at this point, all things are firing off on the cylinders for the Greeks. They're like, yo! But for the Jews, the word was also known as the Memra, which was an Aramaic term. When Aramaic became a primary language among the Jews, they developed interpretive translations of the Hebrew Bible called Targums. And in the Targum Neophyte, Genesis 1, 1 through 5 reads, From the beginning, with wisdom, the memory of the Lord created and perfected the heavens and the earth. And the earth was waste and unformed, desolate of man and beast, empty of plant cultivation and of trees, and darkness was spread over the face of the abyss, and a spirit of mercy from before the Lord was blowing over the surface of the waters. And the memory of the Lord said, let there be light. And there was light according to the decree of his memory. And it was manifest before the Lord that the light was good, and the memory of the Lord separated the light from the darkness. And the memory 
of the Lord called the light daytime and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning in the order of the work of creation first day. So John goes again. The memory of the Lord perfected and created the earth and the, the heavens and the earth. Yeah, that's Jesus, bro. I find it genius that this man can use one word that is multiculturally applicable as he brags and honors Jesus. And then he goes on in his prologue to explain that Jesus was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him and in him was life. Not only is life found in Jesus, but he is the essence of it. I don't know about you, but I need this to be true. Allow me to peel the curtain back a little bit. Death has become something I've become very familiar with over the years of my life, and I'm not even that old. I've witnessed a bunch of my relatives, friends, and associates die, several of them this year, alone. And I've just been thinking like, yo, there has to be a stop point, right? At least I hope so. It's looking pretty dark these days. Many of us in this room are exhausted and pained by the constant death that seems to be reigning supreme. From sickness and disease to rising homicide rates in this city to the rising suicide rates across demographics, but especially with our young people. Tragic accidents happen every day, you name it. And then I get reminded when I read words like these that the story doesn't have to end in death. It doesn't have to end in dark days. It doesn't have to end in dark realities. Because we live in a post-resurrection world. We live in a post-Avent world. And a new creation is a promised reality for those who are in Jesus. And my God, do I need that to be true? I don't know about you, but I need that to be true. I hear you. <laughs> and then John continued, the light was the light of mankind. Jesus stated that he is the light of the world. And any person that follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life in them. And if I could be honest, this is hard to believe sometimes. Like I said, it's been hard to believe recently. If I could be honest, we family, right? Okay, so I'll just be glass. On one, on one level, like the head, like I understand these facts to be true. If you follow Jesus, you walk in the life, you walk in light. Darkness is not your ultimate reality. I get that on the head level. But on the heart level, I'm asking the question, yo, where are you, though? Like, I actually don't see you. Maybe I'm blind, but I feel like when light steps into darkness, you're able to see it immediately. I can't see you. What do I do with that? And that's not a shot at Jesus. That's, I, I need to be able to see. Can anybody resonate with that? I just need to know I'm not alone up here tripping, okay. <laughs> I see darkness not only around me, but in me. I believe, but help my unbelief. It's been a very popular prayer for me. 
Then John continued. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. Jesus is the light that cannot be overcome by anything. He came to bring order to chaos. He didn't shy away from the pain of this dark world, but he experienced it as we all do. He witnessed sickness and disease take the lives of so many people. He witnessed people getting murdered by the Roman Empire all the time. There's literally records of people being crucified all over the land. One of his best friends killed himself. And we have these preconceived notions about Judas, but imagine the pain that you feel when you build a relationship with somebody over the course of several years and then they kill themselves. Some of you know what that feels like. So do I. He experienced rejection and pain and suffering, and he himself was killed, yet his incarnation was the evidence that he was going to pierce through regardless. And his resurrection was the evidence that nothing could overcome him. Are you with me? Okay. Good. He is the word. He is the statement, let there be light in the flesh. He is the God who pierces through the dark chaos. He is the remedy. He didn't fix it all then when he first came and he hasn't fixed it all now, but he sure as heck will. Do you believe that his light is enough to dispel the chaos? John was convinced of it so much that he wrote about it more in another letter that we call 1 John. This is what he says in the first five verses. Okay, listen, Genesis 1, first five verses, John 1, first five verses, and then these first five verses. It all got the same language. Listen, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This man is a genius. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. It, you just, whoever, whoever that is, they on fire. <laughs> In him, there is no darkness at all. He and the other disciples heard Jesus speak. They saw him with their own eyes. They touched him. They broke bread. They spent a lot of days with this man. So he's utterly convinced, and you couldn't convince him otherwise. The question is, will we also trust his testimony? That's what this boils down to. Either John is telling a lie, wasting his time, or he's telling the truth. Are we compelled enough to believe? Jesus has come in darkness, could not and still cannot stop him in the world at large, in our city, in our church family, or in our individual lives. So why does John feel the need to talk about any of this? What's the point? Again, like I said, he's either lying or he's telling the truth. What's the point of talking about any of this? He tells us, right, towards the end of his gospel. He says this, so then, 
many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. The one, okay, this is just me interjecting. So. He's the one through whom the darkness gets pierced. The son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And believing is not just, oh, I understand those facts. It's, when you put, it's like you can look at a chair, right? All of y'all sat down. You could just look at it and go, yeah, I, I intellectually understand how a chair works. Or you could sit down and trust for it to actually hold you from not falling on the ground. This isn't understanding facts. This isn't an information ship with Jesus. I don't know where that came from, but. <laughs> but this is about, do you trust me? Not do you understand facts about me? You know where I was born. You know these, these songs that have been sang, sung for, for hundreds or thousands or decades or however long. You understand that I rose from the dead. Like, no, no, no. But do you trust me as a person who actually wants a relationship with you, who actually can change everything? I got evidence to prove it. Will you trust even when you can't see, Hakeem? So John writes about Jesus as the word to compel us to trust that Jesus is the anointed one through whom new creation has been initiated in. Oh, Lord. The word was born to a couple in Bethlehem in order to shine through the, I'm going to keep saying these words, so just get over it. Through the darkness of our world, it is through him that life in the kingdom of God is presently available to anyone who places their trust in him. What is life in the kingdom like? It's where we gain freedom from sin and death. It's where sins are forgiven. It's where impurities are cleansed. It's where, whether now or in the life to come, healing happens. It's where we attain restoration to fullness in him and with one another. That's what happens when light shows up. I could keep going on, but the point is, even though we still deal with the dark brokenness in our world, it has come. The kingdom is not fully here, but it is here. So we get a foretaste and an actual taste of what is to come. The kingdom of darkness don't stand a chance against our king. Whoever is over here is on fire. <laughs> Blessings to you. <laughs> Why? Why doesn't the darkness stand a chance? Because he's the light of humanity. Whenever you walk into a dark room, no matter how dim the light is, it exposes everything. But this man is the light of, of the universe, of the cosmos. Wherever he steps, darkness is overcome. Oh, y'all waking up now. <laughs> but guess what? We are called to be lights as well because we are his reflection. Jesus is all about bringing people along for the journey. 
and that includes you. Jesus doesn't need our help, but he wants our cooperation. There's fun. Following Jesus is fun. It's challenging, but it's fun. I've seen some stuff, y'all. As, as much heartache that I might feel day to day to day, there's also so much joy that pours out of this body. Why? Because one, I'm breathing. And two, I know him. I don't just know about him, I know him. And when you know somebody, it changes things. No matter how low the days may go, no matter how high things may be, he's been with me through it all. And he's also been with you through it all. Now hear me clearly. When I say the kingdom of darkness, I'm not talking about other humans. I'm talking about the enemy, the demonic principalities, the forces of evil. We war not against what? Come on, y'all know y'all Bible. Let's go. But against the spiritual beings who oppose God and his purposes. While the kingdom of darkness seeks to use humans to do evil things, humans are never the enemy. We got to be careful. Because one of the biggest tactics of the kingdom of darkness is to convince people of a us versus them mentality. Yo, I don't want to just exacerbate like the issues in our, in our country as if like everything is hyperpolarized, but it's pretty wild out here, right? Think about some of the disagreements, major disagreements within our society. How much of an us versus them mentality? Like, do we not think that the enemy is at work? That it's just people wilding out over ideologies? Yo, where's more, much of the spiritual warfare these days? It's in ideologies. All right, I ain't gonna go on no philosophical tirade. <laughs> Man. I don't mean this in a Christianese type of way neither, but Jesus is the light that pierces through our darkness in our politics, in our ethnic tensions, in our economic stratifications, in our church divisions. And he offers us the better way, which is the way of the kingdom, which holds space for both justice and mercy, the Westerner and the foreigner, men and women, the young and the old. We all got space here. This is a different reality that flipped everything upside down. And actually his kingdom is right side up. We're living upside down. And he cannot be overcome by any of that darkness. So let's get on a personal level. It might be pretty safe to assume that everybody in here is dealing with some type of darkness in their lives. And if I'm wrong about that, you can call me out, but it's a pretty safe assumption. And I'm thoroughly convinced that Jesus wants to bring his light into it and set us free. Maybe there's some habitual sin that you can't get away from and you feel ashamed of this sin, so it's comfortable to retreat and kind of hide. Yo, I get it, bruh, or sis. <laughs> I get it. And I don't mean to smile like that's a, a small matter. No, there's some strongholds on our lives sometimes that need to be broken. 
Maybe it's a type of addiction. It's jeopardizing spending habits that you might have when it comes to hyper-consumerism. Might be raging lust, I don't know. But hiding is exactly what the enemy wants. Because freedom is found when things that are done in the dark are brought into the light. If we hold on to things in the dark, it will kill you. It only leads to destruction. But there's an alternative. Hiding may feel safe and comfortable, but true safety and comfort is found in our exposure in the light. Because freedom is found in his presence, in his presence alone. Or maybe you're dealing with some type of fear. There's a lot of things to be afraid of. I'm afraid of getting another phone call that somebody else that I love died. Especially when I get a phone call from a relative I don't really talk to that often. I'm like, yo, please, God, not another one. Or you might be fearful of something similar. And maybe you lost your job recently and you're afraid of what might happen. Or maybe you're afraid of change because there's been a ton of it lately. Yo, I get it. The enemy wants to use fear to paralyze us, to keep us stuck in the what ifs of life. But what ifs aren't real. One of the biggest tactics of fear is to create illusions as if they're real. But I get it. What if questions got some weight to them? What if, what if that happens or what if this happens? Man, then that's going to mean that this might take place, and then that might take place. Man, what if? There's an alternative. Fear is a natural response, but it can serve you as an alarm for you to press in, to press in to him, to press into conversation with God and one another. It is in those conversations that what ifs get overcome by the peace of what is, and that's his presence among us in the midst of the chaos. Are you still with me? Maybe you or someone you love is dealing with suicidal ideation or attempts or self-harm. I understand. I've wanted to end it all. My teenage years and my college years, I was ready to, to, to end it. My cousin took her life in July. I used to pastor over young people other young people, who this was a daily fight for. I've seen the marks on arms. I've seen the marks on necks. I've seen it all. I've seen people show up to youth group the day that they tried to kill themselves, but somehow God said, not yet. Or not ever. I got too many to count, or maybe this is a daily fight for you. I have no idea. But what I do have a clue about is that there's an alternative. The enemy wants you to believe that there's nothing to live for, and he wants to corner you into tunnel vision on your circumstances. There's an alternative. Jesus envisions something totally different for you, and that's called abundant life. And that doesn't mean that everything is going to be sunshine, rainbows, and ponies, but it means he's going to be with us in the midst of it all. I can tell you from experience this man changed my life. I grew up in an environment where I shouldn't be alive right now. Or I should be in jail. And that's not to paint these stereotypes about black young males. So throw that out the window. I'm just telling you about my experience. And I'm not trying to paint a picture about, oh, yeah, I come from this hard environment. No, it's about look what God did. 
Look what he's doing and look what he will do. I've seen too many young black people go to the grave too prematurely. And I refuse for that to be a constant reality. I mean, look at our city, yo. Like, I know too, I got too many calls and emails about this person just got shot up because of gang violence. Yo, God breaks through the darkness. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And I'll be dang if I'm not going to believe that from this day forward. Whew, okay. <laughs> Listen, Jesus will never lead you to destruction. He only leads you to life. And it might be painful because that's what pruning is. But you will always grow. We can spend the rest of our day naming the chaotic realities that we may be facing. Like a health diagnosis where you're like, oh, I don't know about this. Or an undying rage of anger or trauma from abuse that you've experienced. The, the, the point is we all need healing. And as we wrap up, I just got to say, whatever darkness you may be feeling, Jesus has come to pierce through it. Messing up my sweater. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's going to be, it's not going to be hard to navigate. It will be. But what I am saying is that we are not without hope in the midst of it because we can trust in Jesus who is the overlap of what is and what is to come. This is not an ideology, this is a person. While we wait, he is with us by his spirit and wherever the spirit of God is, light overcomes. So the question is, can we trust him together? And we gather today celebrating the first advent of Jesus as we anticipate the second one to finish what he started. And we come back once again to our brother John who was given a revelation by Jesus himself about what is to come. And this is the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now, there's plenty of takes on what this means. I don't got time to get into all of that, nor do I care. But symbolically speaking, the sea represented chaos in old creation. So John is saying, yo, what was contained is now eradicated. It's gone. But then later on, he has another piece of the vision. He says, I saw no temple in it, talking about the city, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. In the daytime, parentheses, for there will be no night there. Just in case you didn't catch it, John was like, let me slip this in there. Its gates will never be closed. So darkness is not just contained in the nighttime and new creation, it's no longer there. So everything that that symbolizes is no longer present in what is to come. No more of the enemy, no more of the demonic, no more of the forces of evil, no more pain, no more tears, no more homicides, no more suicides, no more none of that. Depression will no longer exist. Anxiety will no longer exist. But we are in the in-between, right? All right, Hakeem, I hear you, man. That's all about what is to come, but what about right now? Just know I'm in it with you. We're in the in-between. But the in-between is not unaffected by what has already happened. 
and it's not already affected by what is to come. We are in the overlap. But then Jesus says this. I hope this is encouraging for you. Towards the end of the revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Not only was Jesus there in the beginning, but he is the beginning. And he will guarantee that all chaos and evil will cease to exist because he is also the end. And it is in him that we have a new beginning. And that starts today. Eternal life is a reality today because it is a relationship. When Jesus is about to get murdered, this man prays a prayer about his original disciples and about all that will come to believe after he prays for himself. And he says that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and he whom you sent. What is that but relationship? Which we have access to right now. We may live in the in-between where our day is said to be the age of post this and post that, but we can never be post Jesus because he is the beginning and the end, and he pierced through before and he will do it again. So as I end, do we trust that?